Good, ev good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is, I am Pastor Neil Wemus, and this is going to be a special Easter evening recording. And this should be the last recording I do uh, for probably a few, probably for at least a week. Because um, uh, this is, Mark, it is Easter Sunday, and Holy Week has passed. We are now in the first week. We are in Easter Day itself. And um, as the week of Easter progresses, um, I figure it'd be good to start off the week with a night, uh, a bit of an evening prayer service or a Vesper service, or whatever you would like to call it, um, for Easter and along with a meditation upon a couple of the Easter texts. And so we're going to I'm going to be using an order of service based out of Lutheran's service book. Uh, some of this you'd be able to find in the hymnal. Some of you, some of it you won't. Um, I'll be using the structure of evening prayer, but it's pretty well customized. So we begin. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. We are illuminated by the brightness of his rising. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Death has no dominion over us. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Christ is arisen for LSB 459. Christ is arisen. From the grave's dark prison, so let our joy rise full and free. Christ our comfort true will be. Alleluia. Were Christ not a reason, then death were still our prison. Now with him to life restored, we praise the Father of our Lord. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. Now let our joy rise full and free. Christ our comfort true will be. Alleluia. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who led your people Israel by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Enlighten our darkness by the light of your Christ. May his word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. For you are merciful and you love your whole creation. And we, your creatures, glorify you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We continue with the introit, which was a, it is a sign for Easter evening. Um, again, you won't be able to find this in your hymnal or anywhere, so I guess you could just kind of listen in. 
the Lord swore to your fathers to give your land flowing with milk and honey. Alleluia. That the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. Alleluia. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. He is the Lord our God. He remembers his covenant forever. For he remembered his holy promise. So he brought his people out with joy. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. The Lord swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. Alleluia. That the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. Alleluia. We continue with the hymn of the day for Easter evening, which is Christ the Lord is risen today, which is hymn 463. Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia. Christians hasten on your way. Alleluia. Offer praise with love replete. Alleluia. At the pasture victims feed. Alleluia. For the sheep the lamb has bled. Alleluia. Sinless in the sinner's stead. Alleluia. Christ the Lord is risen on high. Alleluia. Now he lives no more to die. Alleluia. Hail the victim undefiled. Alleluia. God and sinners reconciled. Alleluia. When contending death and life. Alleluia. Met in strange and awesome strife. Alleluia. Christians on this holy day. Alleluia. All your grateful homage pay. Alleluia. Christ the Lord is risen on high. Alleluia. Now he lives no more to die. 
The text for the meditate, the text for the this day, we're gonna. I'm gonna read through two different gospel accounts of the resurrection at this point, and I'm gonna kind of walk through it a little bit. And the first one we're gonna read is from Mark chapter 16, beginning at verse one, where it says. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they're saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. He rants the text. One little interest, interesting bit about um, Mark's gospel is that that is the end of it. Right there, verse 8 is the last verse of the entire gospel. Now, if you were to pull out your Bible, and you pull it out, and you open it up, you would find, wait a minute, there's, there's a whole bunch of extra verses after verse 8 in most English Bibles. Well, here's the thing. If you open um, a more with some of the more modern translations, say like the English Standard Version or the New International Version... Um, you will see right after verse 8, in brackets, a little statement. And it will say that most early manuscripts do not contain verses 9 and beyond. And the reason why that it, and what it's, that's telling you is that verse 9 and to the end of what you have in most English Bibles was not originally in the Gospel of Mark. It was not something that Mark wrote. And the reason for this, so it's kind of got to, you have to understand that in the ancient worlds, there were people that their jobs were to copy one, copy scripture. They had to copy one letter of the New Testament and they'd have to copy to another a piece of papyrus. And what sometimes happened is people would look at the text and think that something should be there that isn't, and so they would insert it. And there are, and so therefore you will actually have it in some of your manuscripts, in some of your Bibles, you'll have very large sections of Scripture that were not originally there. Um, another example of this is the uh, woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. At the very beginning, that is a past set of parrot verses that were not a part of John's gospel. Um, 
However, based upon antiquity, we could say with pretty good reason that that story is authentic, that it really happened. The problem is, is that John is not likely the guy that wrote it. Someone threw it into John for whatever reason. Well, Mark's case is a little bit different. Is that after verse 8, and understand, we can get a pretty good idea as to what the text is, because there are literally thousands upon thousands. Actually, there's a total, there's over 5,700 early manuscripts in the original languages of the New Testament, okay? So we we can come to a pretty reasonable conclusion as to what the original text is. And up until recently, the oldest oldest copy that we had was um, from the middle of the second century, and it's a little itty-bitty piece of the Gospel of John. And I will tell you that some of these manuscripts are tiny, itty-bitty pieces. Some of them are full manuscripts, some of them are not. And recently they had found a small piece of the Gospel of Mark that very light and possibly dates to the second to the first century AD. So we're talking about a copy of the Gospel of Mark that dates from the, the lifetime of the original apostles. So it's kind of a cool thing. They're still studying to verify its date. But if they find it, that's going to be a huge, huge find because we do not have, it's really rare to have that close of a time span in manuscripts, even if it's a small one. But anyways, you could, you could look at all these manuscripts and you will see that based upon all this, we could come up to get to basically a 99.5% certainty as to what the original text said. Now, there are variations, and where there are issues, most of your English translations will tell you. And this is one of them. In the, at the very end of verse 8, what very likely happened was a copyist got to verse 8. Look at verse 8. The very last verse is, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The end. Well, it doesn't say the end. But that's the end of it. That's the end of it. Does it seem like a very natural ending? You figure the ending would be they went and told the disciples that they heard that Jesus was risen from the dead, and at some point they would see him. But that's not how it ends. And so some copy is somewhere along the way. What he did is he saw that it's thought, okay, maybe maybe the ending of Mark is missing, or maybe um, somebody forgot something. Maybe Mark forgot it. Whatever. The reason was the guy, What happened was the whoever it was, he looked at um, what he did is he took what we have at the end of Matthew's gospel, the end of Luke's gospel, the beginning of Acts, the end of John, and he kind of hobbled it all together and kind of created a version that may be the ending of Mark, but it's not actually. The way Mark ends is actually very normal for Mark's style because the theme of Mark is that it's a tragedy. The gospel is very much of the tragic nature. And one of the big themes in the gospel of Mark is that nobody gets it. Nobody 
gets what's going on. Nobody. Peter, for example, when Peter gives his confession, gives his confession that you are the Christ, in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, Mark cuts, cuts it off, cuts it in half. He says, you are the Christ. And I believe the reason why Mark is doing this is he's communicating to you, the reader, that even though Peter very, Peter did say you are the Christ, the live, Son of the living God, as is recorded in Matthew, even though that is what he said, he didn't fully understand it. So what Mark does is he cuts it short. And to make it clear that Peter doesn't get what he's saying, in the very next moment, you have Jesus having to tell Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter is hearing about Jesus predicting his crucifixion. He says, no way, Lord, this will never happen to you. All right? And so uh, Peter doesn't get it. No one gets it. No human being gets it with the exception of one. The only, the only people who understand who he is and they get what's going on is the demons, but they don't like him. And they're not, hu they're not human beings and they hate God. They know what's going on, but they don't like it and they hate it because they, they hate Jesus. But in the case of humans, of people, the only human that actually seems to, to some degree get what's going on is the, sol the centurion soldier who overlooks the cross. And it's very um, significant because um, the very, very first verse of the Gospel of Mark, it goes like this, it says this, it says, this is the very first verse of Mark's Gospel, it says, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the last ver words, the Son of God. So right there, we have established what the goal is, is to tell you who is the Son of God. And then you proceed through the entire gospel. And no human being identifies him as the Son of God. Not even when the women see the empty tomb. They don't recognize it. They don't believe that he's risen. And so what happens instead is they say, he says to them, True, the only person that ever says that he is the Son of God is the soldier who overlooks the crucifixion. And I think this is a good, this is a theme, and not only in Mark's gospel, but even Luke's gospel, that you have this, that it's only it's it's something that we see, and it's very deeply theological, that our God is seen most clearly. Jesus is most clearly seen. For he, who he is, not in his power, but in his weakness. And when I say weakness, I mean in the moments when he lays aside his power. It's when he is crucified that the centurion recognizes him. And in the Gospel of Luke, it's when the thief on the cross recognizes him. And so it makes sense that Mark would have this short ending like he does is that he is communicating that even though the women saw the empty tomb and they're told by an angel, they didn't believe. All right? This leads to um, John, the reading from John chapter 20. John chapter 20 is the traditional 
um, gospel lesson for the Easter sunrise service. It's not always read, and it doesn't always have to be read. It's just a traditional one. Um, we this year did use Mark 16, 1 through 8. Um, some churches like to use Matthew's gospel, or maybe they want to use Luke. Um, all of them, it's actually, I think it's good to actually from year to year read any of all four of them to some point because they all bring something else to the picture. And one of the things I'm going to say straight up is that there is variations in the text. So you just heard Mark 16, all right? So here it goes. It says, Now in the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So this is why, um, this is actually where we go back to the history of why we do sunrise services. Because just as Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, so we come to the church while it is still dark. And the thing that is really kind of, this is why when I, sometimes when you do a sunrise service, sometimes there is an aim to have a gradual progression of joy. And so that when you come to the servant, when you come to the church, you're kind of like Mary Magdalene and you are expecting to find a body. Now we don't really, because we know Jesus rose from the dead, but we're kind of putting ourselves into the mindset of Mary Magdalene. And the reason I'm saying this is because when we put ourselves into the event, it helps us remember that Mary Magdalene was a real person. That in everything that happened was a, his, a real historical event. And so for some of us, sometimes it's when we put ourselves into that place that we that it becomes more real and so that is i mean it, i know that's not a really good argument i know that something is real whether we make it we feel it or not i i do and that's true um but it's not so much about but it is it allows us to connect it to get it grounded um to make those connections those mental connections those psychological connections so um, so that's why we come early in the morning for the sunrise service, because that is what Mary Magdalene did. Um, and it's on the first day of the week. Um, one little note is that in the Greek, the word here is sabbaton, which is, which literally means after the Sabbaths. So after the Sabbaths. So there are some that will try to make an argument that this is, this is a week later. So there's been two Sabbaths since Jesus was crucified. That is not biblical. That is, and that's also not totally understanding, not only not understanding Greek language, but also not understanding Hebrew culture. Um, the reason why it is written as Sabbaton in the plural is because this is a common practice in Hebrew um, language that when they're talking about things that are of significance, they might give the plural. Um, an exa best example of this is the Hebrew word for God is Elohim, which is a, a word that is plural. Even though they are the ones that say, Yahweh, your Elohim, is one. The Lord your God is one. They say, and it's kind of ironic, Elohim, 
which is a plural word, is one. God is one. All right. Um, so um, they don't believe he's plural. He's multiple. That's why, even though they use the plural word, they use the plural word to emphasize the greatness of God. And so the Sabbath that just happened was a Passover Sabbath. And any Sabbath that happens during Passover is known as a high Sabbath. And so that's why it's called, that's why they use the plural to let you know it's a high Sabbath. All right? So, so as while it was dark, I saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So just a little interesting note is that um, Pete, the, the other disciple that gets mentioned here, this is the Apostle John, the one who is writing this account, who's writing this gospel. So he's actually writing about something that happened, and he's writing about something he did, except for he's writing about himself in the third person. And the reason he most likely is doing this is so that he, he doesn't draw attention to himself. But it is kind of neat that he does make sure to let you know that he got there before Peter. And probably the reason for this is not so much that Peter wasn't as excited, but the reality is is that when John was um, with Jesus, you know, John's age at the time of the resurrection, he was probably 15 years old. And whereas Peter is probably in his 40s, 30s or 40s, and so he's much younger. He's he could run faster. Um, his joints, his muscles, everything was working a lot better than it was for Peter. So he outran him. Uh, so it says, it's stooping to look in. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but not did not go in. Why didn't he go in? This is respect. Peter is his elder, so he waits to let his elder go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in, pla in a place by itself. Then the, uh, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. Now, stepping backwards a little bit, the significance, there is significance that that face cloth is folded. Um, the reason is, is because no, it's to let them know that this body wasn't stolen. Because a thief is not going to stop and take the time to fold the, the, the face cloth. I mean, you're not going to have an OCD um, grave robber. Because grave robbers were a reality at that time, so that is something they have to consider. So seeing it folded up nicely told them for in their mind they're thinking these are roman soldiers the type of people who would be able to do this and not take a lot and they could take their time doing it um but and so that's what it says so when it says he so it says here he's he john the other disciple saw and believed 
one of the easy things that we get confused on is we think that he's believed in the resurrection. Well, verse 9 tells us exactly no. It says, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So um, what's happened here is that um, they don't believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. What they believe is they believe the report of Mary Magdalene that the body was missing. I mean, that's what they went there to do. They didn't go there to see if he had risen from the dead. They went to go to see if the body was risen. And by the way, this is actually an argument for the resurrection. Um, one of the things that is of note is that all of the, the earliest witnesses of Jesus' resurrection happened all out of Jerusalem, which is where Jesus was crucified and it was where he was buried. Which meant if people were going around and saying that Jesus was risen from the dead, they would have all done exactly what Peter and John did. They would run, they would, they would quickly go out to the tomb to make sure the body was, wasn't there. And the fact is that we know the body was missing. All right? And so this is one of those evidence. It's not an evidence of... I guess it doesn't evidence that he rose from the dead, but it does evidence that there was no body. Because if there was a body, the minute people were saying that Jesus was risen from the dead, they would parade that body up and down the streets of Jerusalem to make it clear that he was dead. They didn't. Why? Because they had no body. There was no body to be found. And so um, it is, like I said, it's one of those arguments for the resurrection. And by the way, it should be noted that here, they went back to their homes. And I'm going to talk, this is actually a little bit relevant to the gospel lesson for this coming Sunday. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. Verse 11, it says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken, she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Okay, so this is where confusion comes in. The issue between, because you just heard Mark's reading. So in Mark's reading, we have, we have Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph and Salome, are the ones that go to the tomb. Here, um, we have just Mary Magdalene. What's the deal? Well, there is actually a simple way um, to answer that. When Mary comes to Peter and, Jane, Peter and John, or to the disciples, she says, We do not know where they have laid him. In other words... It does let you know that Mary Magdalene was not alone. We actually don't know how many women were at that tomb that morning. Only one is mentioned in John's gospel. Two are mentioned in Mark's gospel. I think in another gospel, it mentions three. And so the reason is they're just mentioning different details. 
But here, John is acknowledging that there was more than one. Um, he just happens to mention Mary Magdalene alone. Um, he's the only one that he mentions by name. Uh, the other thing is, is that you, I, I made a, I really highlighted this in Mark's gospel that they went and they told nobody. So when did this happen? The question, this is a question, and it is one I'll admit they kind of struggle with. Um, there is some that have kind of parsed it together. It may be that this is what is being depicted is actually what happened right here in verse 11. I think that might make sense. That, that is what is being depicted, that this is verse 11, where Mary stayed, Mary stayed behind and she was with the other women and she saw the angel, the other, for whatever reason, the other women left, leaving just Mary Magdalene. I don't, I don't know, there is a way, if somebody worked at it, they would find that does work together. <clears throat> but as one person actually mentioned, this is also, again, an argument for the resurrection. If you were to tell the story of the resurrection, you would make one of the things that usually liars will do was they will make sure that all the details are exactly correct. In fact, in the court of law, one of the best ways to know if somebody was telling a lie is if the facts that they are telling are exactly the same because that means they rehearsed it together. When there are when the details are different, and I don't mean like they say, well, this is a red car, this is a blue car, or saying one person saying, well, they came from, um, you know, they came from this town, and but the other says they came from that town, or you know, there's some details that can let you know they're lying when they're different, but there's some it could just be that they're talking from a different perspective, and that's the honest reason why you do have variations in the gospels. Because it's a different perspective. If you had four different people seeing the exact same car accident and you were to ask them what happened, they would all give you different details. They would all mention different people, um, different events, and probably the reason why John's gospel, especially in the case of the resurrection th events like this, has a lot more detail is because John was there. And so he gives a lot more detail. He gives a little bit. He gives some more detail, especially as far as to the what happened with the disciples than the others. And it makes sense because he's he didn't go there when the women were there. They just came and said, "Hey, <coughs> the body is missing." And so he's probably not really thinking about which woman was there, which weren't. He's just like, "What?" He ran. He's probably as he's recording this. He's not really mindful of who is there. He just remembers that Mary Magdalene was. So he doesn't remember the same details as Mark, Luke, or, or Matthew does. Like I said, it's about perspective. So anyways, having said, so going to verse 14, it says, Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now, when he says woman, I bring this up um, just because when we hear that in English, we think woman, that's kind of disrespectful. Well, it's important to note that um, in the time of Jesus to say woman is like saying ma'am. So he's pretty much saying ma'am, miss, 
Why are you weeping? All right, it's um, it's a title term of respect. It's just it's one that doesn't translate very well into our culture, but that is um, pretty much the gist of what he's saying. Um, it says here uh, that she's so it says, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir. If you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now, there are re people will come up with kind of crazy reasons as to why she does not recognize that it's Jesus, and she thinks it's the gardener. The reason that some people are like, well, maybe they're thinking, well, actually, it really was another person, and she placed the identity of Jesus upon this person uh, that she didn't know, and so that's what they thought. But or they make arguments similar to that. I'm gonna go a lot more logical. This is this is one of those reasons why we put ourselves into the shoes of the situation. And remember, these are human beings. This is not some cute little fairy tale being told to us. The resurrection, the what happened in these that is recorded in John 20. I'm telling you that this. A lot of this is an eyewitness. You don't eyewitness a fictional story. You eyewitness things that really happen. So John 20 is the record of something that true, really and truly happened. So put yourself in the shoes of this woman. She is crying her eyes out because not only is her dear teacher, the one that she loves so much dead in her mind not only has he been brutally tortured and crucified now in her mind somebody has taken the body and moved him where she can't find them i mean think about this if your loved one had died of a horrible disease I'm thinking of something like some of those really debilitating types of cancers where you watch them and they're in absolute agony. And you came to their graveside and the, and the casket was missing. You would be beside yourself. You would be crying like you have never been cry, cried before. You would be furious. You, would, you don't know. Your emotions would be overwhelming. So there's that, which means she probably can't see things completely clearly. And the second thing is, if you're sitting next to that grave and that casket was gone, and somebody came up to you and said, hey, what's going on? Why are you crying? Your first assumption is going to think, oh, I'll bet you the guy talking to me is the person that's supposed to be in the casket. No, you're not going to expect a dead guy to come and talk to you. The person, when you're in a cemetery, the most likely person that's going to come and talk to you is either someone else that's grieving or the caretaker of the, of the, of the cemetery. That's the most logical. And that's what she did. She went to the logical conclusion that the person talking to me is the caretaker. Because that's who logically would be talking to you in a cemetery, not somebody who's supposed to be in the grave, okay? So, that's why she doesn't recognize him. 
So supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. When he says this, again, this is one of those things you just put yourselves in the shoes. And, I mean, I just cannot imagine, try to begin to imagine what it must have been like that first time when Mary heard that. She's sitting there in absolute wretched, horrible grief that I, I could not even begin to fathom. And she hears him say it, Mary. And he says it in a way that for a moment earlier, she did not recognize him because of her grief. And right then and there, she knew immediately without a doubt that it was Jesus. And at the, after she heard it, she says, it says she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And so Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so what happened here, this is where the English does not get this translated well. And I have yet to see an English translation that does it right. It's a grammar issue that they're kind of tripping up on. But it's better translated. <clears throat> that Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. What that means is, in other words, I mean, think about this way. It's kind of like, for some of you know this experience where, actually, here's a really good example. You go on TV, you watch, you've seen these videos on YouTube, or you've seen it on TV, where a family has had a loved one that went away to war. They went to Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, Vietnam, whatever. They went to some horrible war. And that person comes home for the first time. And you see it. And what's even better is those ones where they don't expect them to come home when they do. And <clears throat> all of a sudden, their loved one, their friends, their family, whatever, they jump and they cling to them and they hug them and they embrace them. Like, so happy that they're there and they're holding so tight that they don't want to let go. Almost to the point that that big bulk, that strong soldier almost can't breathe as their lungs are getting crushed because the person is so happy they're there. Well, that's probably the way what Mary did. She turned and said to him, Aramaic, Rabboni. She shouted it for joy and very likely... She jumped and she clung to him and was embracing him like she never wanted to let go, which is why Jesus says to her, stop clinging to me. It's not that he doesn't want to touch her. He's not like, oh, no touchy. What he's doing, he's basically saying to Mary, I get it. You're happy. You're joy that I'm alive. But I have other things to do. You need to let go. That is what he's telling her. And so, and what notice, when you change that, you read that translation appropriately, is you realize that she touched Jesus. And this is not the only gospel that records 
Jesus being touched after the resurrection. Matthew also records it, that they grasped at his feet. What this is reminding you that this is not a spiritual apparition. They actually touched him. They touched Jesus. This is a physical, bodily resurrection. All right? This is, um, so this is why we don't say on Easter morning that Christ is alive. Jesus is alive. We say Christ is risen. The difference between saying he is arisen and he's alive is when you say he is just alive, that just means he might be alive in your heart. He's in my mind, in my heart. He's a spiritual thing floating in the sky. When you say he's arisen, that means his body was once in a tomb, in a grave, dying, decaying like any dead body does. And now that same body has emerged from that tomb alive that's what you what it means when we say risen is that he is physically alive and he still has a physical body all right and that's actually the promise that those who believe in him will also rise with a physical body and so that is where i'm there's kind of my walk through of john 20 it is the resurrection account is such a beautiful reality, a beautiful story, a beautiful event. It's just absolutely incredible what happened when we think about it. And, you know, Pastor Salcedo this morning in the, uh, in our East, the second Easter service um, referenced a quote from, oh, I can't remember who he said he who quoted it, but I'd heard it before where it says that um, if Jesus has risen from the dead, nothing else. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, nothing matter, Nothing else matters. If Jesus has risen from the dead, nothing else matters. And, and I like that. It's... It's a great quote, but I'm going to go, and I, that's a quote I love, and I've used it too as well. And it is a wonderful quote that, you know, Jesus rose from the dead, and the evidence is all there. Um, I'm going to post my sermon for this coming Sunday, where I'm going to touch into some more of the evidences for the resurrection. Uh, but, and you can listen to it, I upload it. But if you... This is, I'm going to go to another quote. This is a C.S. Lewis quote. And C.S. Lewis made the comment. He says that if Jesus is not risen from the dead, then Christianity is of absolutely no importance. There is no value to it whatsoever. It's useless without the resurrection. However, if Christ has risen from the dead, it is of the absolute importance, and nothing is more important than it. Christianity cannot be moderately important. It is either of absolutely no importance, or, of, or it is of absolute importance. If Jesus has risen from the dead, if Christ is risen, and it is an, this actual historical event happened 
that is of absolute importance. And we should act like it is, proclaiming it, declaring it to others, and hearing it regularly, gladly. That's why we don't have church, why church isn't just two, two days a year. There's a reason why it is 52 weeks a year, plus Advent and Lent and Good Friday and Maundy Thursday and Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and even Ascension Day. Days like that. That's why we have it. Because our Lord, our faith, our salvation is of that much importance. That we may never wander that we may never fall away, and we may continuously and constantly receive his most blessed gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. We continue with the hymn 475 from Luther's service book, which is, Good Christian Friends Rejoice and Sing. Good Christian friends, rejoice and sing. Now is the triumph of our King. To all the world glad news we bring. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The Lord of life is risen today, brings flowers of song to strew his way. Let all the world rejoice and say, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Praise we in songs of victory, that love, that life which cannot die, and sing with hearts uplifted high. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Your name we bless, O risen Lord, and sing today with one accord. The life laid down, the life restored. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. <clears throat> We continue with uh, the prayers, which what I am using for the prayers this evening or afternoon or whatever it is at this point is taken from response and prayer one, which can be found in Lutheran's service book. Um, you may pause this if you're listening to it and turn the page to find it. I don't have the page number. I think it might be page 251, maybe-ish. You'll have to double check on that. I'm not positive. Anyways. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. 
Lord, keep this nation under your care and guide us in the way of justice and truth. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Let us pray. O God, in the pastoral feast, you restore all creation. Continue to send your heavenly gifts upon your people, that they may walk in perfect freedom and receive eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Taught by our Lord and trusting in his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> I conclude with a third gospel lesson. And this gospel lesson is the um, gospel that is assigned for Easter evening or Easter Monday. And it is taken from Luke chapter 24. And the reason that this is the traditional reading is because it is a record of one of the accounts, resurrection appearances, that happened in the, e the first evening, that e the evening of that first Easter. So it says, That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near <coughs> and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and they did not find his body. They came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were, who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at, at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he, was, he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them to gather together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you. Amen. We continue with hymn 474 out of Lutheran service book. And this it is with this that we'll conclude. The hymn name is Alleluia, Jesus is Risen. Alleluia, Jesus is risen. Trumpets resounding in glorious light. Splendor the Lamb, heaven forever. Oh, what a miracle God has in sight. Jesus is risen and we shall arise. Give God the glory, alleluia. Walking the way, Christ in the center, telling the story to open our eyes, breaking our bread, giving us glory, Jesus our blessing, our constant surprise. Jesus is risen and we shall arise. Give God the glory, alleluia. Jesus the vine, we are the branches. Life in the spirit, the fruit of the tree. Heaven to earth, Christ to the people. Gift of the future now flowing to me. Jesus is risen and we shall arise. Give God the glory, alleluia. Weeping be gone, sorrow be silent. Death put asunder and Easter is bright. Cherubim sing, O grave be open. Clothe us in wonder, adorn us in light. Jesus is risen and we shall arise. 
Give God the glory, alleluia. <clears throat> City of God, Easter forever. Golden Jerusalem, Jesus the Lamb. River of life, saints and archangels. Sing with creation to God the I Am. Jesus is risen and we shall arise. Give God the glory, alleluia. With that, I leave you. Um, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Again, I am Pastor Neil Wemus. This was an evening recording for Easter evening or Easter Monday, whenever you decide to listen to it, whatever. Um, I hope it was a blessing to you, and I hope you have a blessed Easter. Um, I don't know, probably the next thing I will record will maybe be later in the week or maybe next week. Um, I pro I'm going to do the review of the movie uh, the Case for Christ, which came out last year. And I might probably, if I do it late enough, I might be able to say something about uh, I Can Only Imagine, which came out, which will be released at the Holstein Theater this coming Friday. So, or maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll go see that sooner. Um, I'm not totally certain what my plans are going to be, but whatever the case is, um, I'll come back and, with a movie, some movie reviews views later. Um, and um, so, again, have a blessed Easter. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Told thee.